Hello again. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, from the New American Standard Bible. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet, God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes into obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place? All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is never satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This, too, is futility and a striving after wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow, for who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Julie Steele, and I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen. And we are continuing in our sermon series today, and the book of Ecclesiastes will be in chapter 6, as Brent just read for us. Now, I started us off a few weeks ago in the book of Ecclesiastes in the first chapter. And my last sermon was titled, A Dose of Reality, and I'm afraid that it left many of you hopeless with the message that life was meaningless. Now, I just want to say I only passed on to you what the author was telling me, what he stated. And I have to say that I have regretted a bit my decision for us to uh, go through the book of Ecclesiastes. It was my suggestion, and um, it's one of those things, be careful what you wish for. Peter, I will never ask you again which book we should go through. Well... I just want to try to make up for kind of the downer that I left you all with last time, okay? So um, today is going to be all fun and games and easy. And so uh, we are going to go from starving or satisfied to the happiest place on earth. So doesn't this just make you be happy and be satisfied and everything? Right. Well, here's the problem. Even the happiest place on earth isn't happy for everybody. (laughs) So you see, here we go. This is the reality of life. We just can't escape it. Well, today we are looking at 
Starving or Satisfied. That's the title of the message. And we're going to be looking at the reality of life, but hopefully with a more hopeful message. And it's going to leave us asking the question, are you starving or are you satisfied? Our author philosophizes, I think that's a word, on what satisfaction is under the sun and why we have such a hard time being satisfied. I did a lot of reading um, all over the place, secular and Christian, on this topic of satisfaction to prepare for my sermon, which, by the way, has been probably the most difficult one to date for me to prepare. Well, the article said that there are five ways to increase life satisfaction. Who doesn't want to do that? Happiness is being happy in your life, is what the uh, author of the article says. We experience it immediately and in the moment. Life satisfaction, on the other hand, is being happy about your life. It's the happiness that exists when we talk about the past and the bigger picture and the context of our life. So what can we do to not just be happy in the moment, but to feel satisfied with our lives? Here's five things that the research shows that can make a difference for us. First of all, friends. Friends are huge. I think we all know that. Uh, It says that we are actually 20% more satisfied if we have good friends in our life. And if you like your neighbors, it boosts it another 16%. That one can be a little tougher, can't it? Well, I think this all points to the fact that we need community. We need people that know us and we know them and we feel comfortable with. I have this best friend, Aline, who I've had since seventh grade. We met sitting next to each other in seventh grade chorus. We are very different, but our bond was we both came from very dysfunctional families. So we did not have to pretend or hide things from each other. We've been through thick and thin, and as my mother called us, we were partners in crime. And sometimes that was a little bit true. But um, she's somebody who's given me a lot of satisfaction in my life, because Aline knows things about me that not even God knows. Well, the next thing is, we also need to have goals. People with goals are 20% more satisfied with their lives. And just so you don't think that you have to have these Olympic-sized goals, the study actually shows that consistent amount of minor successes bring more satisfaction than the occasional big win. There are many examples with this when we think of exercise or eating right. If we just make some of those small um, improvements, it can give us satisfaction. But it also can give us a lot of satisfaction in our spiritual life. Maybe increasing how much Bible study you do or how much prayer time you have or whatever spiritual discipline that you feel like, you know, it's just too much for me, so I'm just not going to do it. You can increase it by small increments and be more satisfied. This was a good one. Have a life story. People who wrote down the history of their lives were 11% more happy with their lives and 17 more percent more optimistic about their future. This, I thought, was really interesting. It said that children who know the stories of those who came before them 
have a higher view of themselves and a better sense of control over their lives. Doesn't this go along with passing down our faith stories? Sharing what God has done in our life, especially through the difficult times, can really help our children and grandchildren be more optimistic about their own future. And here's one that we all know, money isn't the answer. You see, the more materialistic people are, the less satisfied they are with their lives. Now, we all know this intellectually, but don't we kind of want to find it out for ourselves anyway? Here's an interesting fact. Spending money on gifts made the holidays less enjoyable. That seems counterintuitive. We all want to give. Giving gives us a great sense of satisfaction. However, it's the motive for buying. It's the pressure to buy certain things or a certain amount of things that takes away the satisfaction that we would get from our giving. And last but not least, we need to keep growing. That's what the study shows. Now, not physically, unless you're a kid, but people over the age of 50, which I'm definitely in that category, who said that they continue to learn more about topics that interested them, were 18% more satisfied, and their lives felt 43% more vital. Not sure how you measure that, but they did. I'll buy it. The ability of people to maintain happiness as they age reveals that an openness to change leads to a more satisfying life. I'm going to repeat that one. An openness to change leads to a more satisfying life. I can really identify with that, just like you can. Our lives are changing every day. Outside forces are forcing us to change our lives. You know, an example that I thought of here was how we as a family spend the holidays has definitely changed. Do you know that when couples get married, one of the major points of contention for them is family traditions. When Barry and I got married, we had to grow in our ideas on how we did certain things. Do you open gifts Christmas morning or Christmas Eve? Christmas morning, we finally settled that one. What foods do you have? Where do you spend the holidays? What attire do you wear? All of these things we come into a marriage with. Well, we really did do a good job of compromising on these things. And what we did was we decided to create our own traditions, which wasn't necessarily easily accepted by our family. But now that our sons have wives and significant others, we need to continue to grow in our ideas and how we spend the holidays. Because if we get locked into it has to be this day and this way, will our holidays be very satisfying? Probably not. And what about church? We have to keep growing as a church also in new ways of thinking. We have to grow in how we think about to reach our culture with the relevant message of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about changing our core beliefs or presenting the gospel as the gospel. I'm talking more about the physical place of the church? What about what our sanctuary looks like? Or the music that we sing? 
or even the style of preaching that we listen to. You know, if you have been dissatisfied with changes in our church and you think they've been really radical, it's a good thing you weren't at church in Jesus' day because he completely radicalized the way church was done. He literally turned the place upside down. Well, what does our author here in Ecclesiastes have to say to us about satisfaction? I'm not going to read all these verses again. However, I'm going to sum it up in kind of a long sentence. Our author is stating that just because we have everything we could ever want here on earth or under the sun, that does not mean we can enjoy it or that we will experience satisfaction. That's it in a nutshell. And our author starts out by saying, this is an evil that is common to everyone. No one escapes this. Now, I want you to notice the word soul here. The soul is who we are apart from our physical body. It's the person that God created us to be that will live on in eternity. You see, God breathed life into Adam, and he became a complete person, body and soul. And because it was God's life that was breathed into Adam... It is only the things of God that can satisfy Adam and all human beings since. So the author is saying that none of the things that the world has to offer in and of themselves, money, fame, people, food, whatever we have, can provide satisfaction for our soul. They can provide temporary pleasure, but not satisfaction. And here's why. Our souls are eternal. They're not temporary. Trying to get satisfaction from what is temporary will leave our souls starving. Life under the sun was never meant to be the end. The only way we can enjoy all that God has given to us is to see it for what it is, a gift from God for the here and now. All our money, all our families, our houses, our boats, our craft beers, our coffee, our clothing, whatever, it's all a gift from God. And if we see that from the eternal perspective, then all of a sudden we can enjoy these things for what they are because we're not trying to satisfy our souls with them. We're just enjoying them as a gift. Now, we all know people who have it all. They have the big house and unlimited income and all of this, and yet they're not satisfied. Their life is unsatisfactory. We read about famous people who commit suicide and wonder why they had it all. And the one person that I still think about a lot is Robin Williams. He seemed like he was a lot of fun. He was a great actor. He had everything But something was missing. His soul was starving. I've been a part of a committee for a few years here connected with youth and family services here on the island. And we began looking at why our kids here on the island have had a high rate of substance abuse. The short version is because we live in a very affluent community. 
Now, I know that's a generalization. I'm not saying everybody, but generally speaking, that is the case. High pressure to perform, access to the best of everything. 16-year-olds driving brand new cars, going to Hawaii every spring break. Now, are these things bad? No, not in and of themselves. The problem is the kids can't enjoy them because they feel like they either deserve them or they earn them. And then what? You have this temporary pleasure, and then it goes away. And so then they're turning to something else to give them their next good feeling. Because nothing comes to us unless God gives it to us, and unless we see it as a gift, we won't be satisfied. We have to look at what our author is telling us here. Have you ever fallen into the if-only trap? You know, if only, blah, 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 I would be totally satisfied. I have a lot of things that when I first bought them thought, if only I had that, I would be satisfied. How about... If only I were married, I'd have that one person who could meet all my needs. That's a scary one. How about, if only I were in better shape, I'm just going to exercise more and that will satisfy me. Or how about, if only I made it to the Olympics. Do you see these families and what they put in their whole lives and then they get to the Olympics and then what? Or maybe it's, if only I had a child, or I had more children, if only I had different children, (laughs) if only we had another car or a bigger house, although I don't know if you know this, but the trend now is tiny houses. Have you seen this? So people have big houses with lots of things, and they're not satisfied. So now they buy these tiny houses that are three to 500 square feet and have the bare minimum so that now they can spend their time and energy and resources traveling to get satisfied. We'll see how that works out in a few years. And what about this one? If only we could take a vacation. You know what? Vacations can be the most unsatisfying thing for your soul ever. You've all had summers. Maybe you've had some of these recently. You're so busy seeing and doing that you have no time to reflect on the gift of getting away and the gift of being able to enjoy God's creation as Brent and the high schoolers were able to do. Well, you fill in your, your blank. If only what? What is it for you right now that you feel like if you had or achieved, you would be really satisfied? You know, I play this game a lot. I watch a lot of HGTV, Home and Garden Channel, and I see all of these home improvements and remodels, and I think if only I had all stainless steel appliances, I would love my kitchen forever. Or if only I had a bigger entryway, that would just make my life perfect. Or if I had better landscaping. I have these neighbors next to me that have the most beautiful landscaping, and it's driving me crazy. I just can't keep up. (laughs) I also have a drawer full of makeup and facial creams that were supposed to make me more satisfied with myself, and the drawer just keeps getting fuller and fuller. Okay, so all these things are vanity and meaningless. 
That's what our author is telling us, because they do not achieve what their intended purpose was supposed to be, we think, to satisfy our souls. So why is that? Well, I think it's because of this truth. Satisfaction is tied to purpose and meaning, not consumption. Our culture tells, that, tells us this through all the commercials and ads that we see, that our consuming is what gives us purpose and meaning. It's the consumption. I don't know about you, but my inbox is constantly full of ads trying to sell me something that I need or that I want or that's going to make my life better. That's what our culture thinks. Now, that's one reason why we cannot be satisfied, because we can't enjoy the things that God has given us as a gift from him. But here's another reason. It's because we are not, sat- we're not satisfied because we toil and labor for what is temporary. Now, the word appetite here is translated to soul, and I like how Eugene Peterson's message puts it. We work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. We toil endlessly to feed our souls, and it just leaves us starving and striving after wind. It's exhausting. Have you ever been really hungry and you've eaten that first thing that you've seen? It's usually junk food, right? It's usually a candy bar, a cookie, a bag of chips, and you're still not satisfied. It takes away that initial hunger pain, but you're still not satisfied like a meal would satisfy you. I remember my kids coming in before dinner and wanting to eat junk food because they were really hungry, and I would say, no, because you'll spoil your appetite. Well, if they ate that candy or a bag of chips, it would fill that immediate need they had for hunger, but something else would happen. It would also cause them to not want to eat what they really needed to satisfy them. They wouldn't want to eat their dinner then. So if we're feeding on material things for our souls, chances are we won't have room in our lives for the spiritual food that will really satisfy us because we will be just eating junk food, spiritually speaking. A starving soul can lead to addictions and destructive behavior because we're going to try to feed our souls any way we can, any way we know how. It's our human nature. So, all right, how do we shift from starvation mode to satisfaction mode? Well, look at verse 9. It says, what the eye sees is better than what the soul desires. So what is that telling us? We need to start by enjoying what our eyes see, what we have in front of us, and stop speculation on what might be or has been. This verse says to desire or focus on the here and now, not what we don't have. I love this quote from Mark Twain. I've been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. Now, I know that I tend to look to the future either with hope or with worry, which robs me of the present. People lose their health to make money 
and then they lose their money to restore their health. By worrying about the future and hanging on to the past, we can't live in the present. We can't enjoy what's right before us now. The desire, it says here, to look beyond today, that's a wrong desire. So how do we make sure that our desires are right desires? Well, I have learned through much toil and chasing the wind that praying for God's desire is a much better plan than praying for my own desires. I can't trust my own desires. I think about if my desire or my want is in line with God's will. You know, for many years, I prayed for my husband, Barry, to become a Christian. And I knew that that would be God's will, because God's will is for all people to come to him and all people to have a relationship with him for all eternity. So I didn't have to question that desire. But What about some things that aren't so clear-cut? I also prayed for my son Ben and his wife Elise to move back here from Chicago. That was my desire. But I had to ask, was it God's desire? I changed my prayer to asking God to change my desire to be his desire for them so that I wouldn't be at odds with what God wanted. I heard a speaker a long time ago say that she started praying for God's desire for her children instead of her own because she didn't want to get in God's way. I think a lot of times we try to get in God's way because our desires are wrong desires. So I've had to ask God many times to change my desires so that they are in line with his perfect desire and will. Well, sometimes I've asked him to change his for mine, but that's never really worked out. So, starving or satisfied? Can we be satisfied with life under the sun? Yes, we can. That's the hopeful message, and we're supposed to. We can be satisfied whether we have everything or whether we have nothing this world has to offer. Connecting to the one who made us through a relationship with Jesus Christ is what gives us purpose and meaning, and that's what gives us satisfaction. You see, our desires change from the temporary to the eternal because all of a sudden we see not what we have, but what Jesus did for us and how that will impact us forever. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He's the one that satisfies. He is the food that our soul needs. Here's a few verses to help us make that shift. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. The afflicted, And aren't we all afflicted? We'll eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. And this quote from St. Augustine, Thou, O Lord, has made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless 
until they find their rest in thee. And I think that rest is satisfaction. There's another story in Scripture about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And Jesus meets her there. This woman has been trying to feed her soul through a series of unhealthy, illegitimate relationships all her life. And I'm just going to read verses 13 to 14. Jesus answered her. He said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. That's the water that comes from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's satisfying. Everything we try outside of a relationship with Christ will leave us starving or thirsting for more. I had a conversation with a close family member this last week that left me unsettled. This person is not a Christian, but a wonderful person, a loving person. And he has struggled with many things in this world because his soul has been starving. He told me that as long as he could be doing good and helping others in this life, then life was worth living and he would be satisfied. But the moment that he wasn't able to help others or he wasn't being helpful, he would rather not be here. Now, that's a good thought on the surface because we all want to do good, right? We all want to serve and be helpful. But what worries me is that we don't always get to see the good that we're doing. There are missionaries on the field who will never see the fruit of their labor. Do they just hang it up and say, I have no purpose? Our purpose and meaning cannot be based on what we see or are experiencing. Our meaning has to come from who we are in Christ. And sometimes you have to have faith that God is at work even when you don't see it. And so you are not toiling in vain. Here's the difference. We do good things, things that reflect the character of God because our souls are satisfied. This family member wants to do good to satisfy his soul. It will never be enough. Even the good works that we do do not have purpose and meaning if we're doing them for the wrong reason, to satisfy our soul. You know what is truly satisfying to me these days? You knew it was coming. (laughs) Do I not look totally satisfied with Mary? I need nothing else in this world. Seeing this little one who God has created gives me life, my life purpose and meaning. But you know what? The truth is not even Mary can satisfy my soul. That's something only Christ can do. I can enjoy Mary because she is a gift from God, and she has an eternal soul. So it's interesting that the man who wrote the book of of Ecclesiastes was either King Solomon or knew King Solomon. And King Solomon is the epitome of the man who had everything. If you read the list of 
wives and, and cattle and buildings. and I mean, it just, it, there isn't anything bigger, right? And yet, towards the end of his life, things didn't go so well. He started worshiping other gods. His desire for worldly things turned his heart away from God. He became dissatisfied because he pursued all that was under the sun instead of continuing to feed his soul with what had purpose and meaning, his relationship with God. So, is your soul starving or is it satisfied today? What do you think? What are you expecting to satisfy your soul that isn't? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your ministry? What is it? And are you able to enjoy what God has given you right now in the present as a gift from him that is just for the here and now? And what about your desires? Is there a desire or want that you have that might need to be changed? What do you think? Well, I know that satisfaction comes from who we are in Christ. And he will give us the desires of our heart if they are in line with the desires of his heart. And then we can be truly satisfied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you can satisfy our souls and you want to satisfy our souls. God, I pray that today each of us would bring to you those things that we are looking to satisfy us that never meant to. God, show us your desires for, our, for us. Show us how to be in line with your will so that we can be satisfied and show us how we can show your character to others out of a soul that is completely satisfied through Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.